Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left us these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and being here in a sense at your place to celebrate, to celebrate you. And we just want to let you know this morning that we love you. And we want to wish to you that happy birthday that you deserve. Help us today as we hear this to be led by you, Holy Spirit, to make a difference in not only our individual lives, but in the lives of our family, in the lives of others around us that we're in contact with. That we would be able to reflect you, Father, to everyone that is in our path. So help us this day. Help me to speak your words. Beyond that, help us to live your words in a way that's not just religious but real for all to see. Thank you for this, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now we saw the video, uh, Super Dads. I thought that was a pretty cool video. Uh, And you think about it. And uh, as you think about it, you know, maybe your dad is a superhero. He might be one of those. Everybody was in that movie. So it's possible that dad was there. You know, I hear, by the way, some of you may not know this. Uh, if you saw that movie because you probably didn't see it, but Larry Boy was there because you know what, right? I am that hero, right? Larry Boy, everybody was there. So how about your dad, superhero or? My dad is the supervillain. Is dad someone that we cheer or someone that we fear? And there's a difference. Perhaps it's not just dad we're talking about today. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's even you. But people in our life that are the supervillain, that are feared, especially when we mess up or if we mess with them in any way. But this morning we can change that by following up that decision that we made last week to be a family of forgiveness. Once again, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. We'll look at the example that he has that he clearly showed his brothers today. There is no fear in forgiveness. A truth that is seen in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 18, and we'll come back to this verse throughout this day. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in forgiveness. In, in his love, in part of his love is that forgiveness that casts out all fear. But what does that mean? How does that deal with forgiveness? It deals with forgiveness that means that we are no longer afraid of payback. 
if we really know his forgiveness, we're no longer afraid of payback. Look at Genesis chapter 42. We're going to look at a number of the places again in Genesis. We didn't cover the whole story last time. But Genesis chapter 42, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, and they were in another country, obviously in their place, and the famine had hit there too. But when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. So Joseph's brothers come to Egypt for food. Now we've already established last week, and I encourage you to listen to that last week, of how we know that Joseph forgave them, forgave them before they ever even got there. But when you read this, it's like he spoke to them harshly. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about how forgiveness is about no longer being afraid of payback. He calls them spies even. And so because of the way our minds work, actually the way our flesh works, we can sometimes just assume that because of bitterness, Joseph is speaking here harshly to them and payback is beginning. But as we look at all the facts, including the one that he's already forgiven them, we talked about, he's made the decision to set them free by forgiving them fully. What they had done to him, what they'd caused in his life. There's no way he had any idea that they would ever show up before him again like this. But we look at verse 9. And in verse 9, he remembered his dreams about them. All right, if he remembers his dreams, you remember the dream? The dream was they were all bowing down before him. He was the one that was to rule over them, so to speak. And that's part of what got him the final straw that they threw him in a big pit and decided to sell him off. That's what got him in trouble to begin with, was this dream. And now in this moment, as they're there bowing before him, he remembers that dream. Here's the thing. If Joseph really still had bitter feelings... That would be the perfect time to gloat as they were bowing down before him, before they even knew he was, before anything was said. That would be the perfect time to rub it in, not a time to hold it in and be secretly bitter. This is the perfect payback time right here. If some people wait their whole life to get this payback. They're waiting their whole life to get back. And here is their family. He didn't even know they would ever come. There they are right before him. Here is his chance. But instead, he chooses the family of forgiveness way, where there is no fear. He's saying, oh, wait a minute. There, there, it doesn't they, the way he's talking to them, isn't that a heart full of hate? No. He's talking to them out of a heart full of love. You see... He's using this interrogation, not interrogating them so as to not draw undue attention to them while he asks questions that he would never ask an Egyptian that's coming to him for food. I mean, if he just suddenly just kind of nice, hey, hey, how you guys doing? Oh, you come from over there, you know, uh, God's way. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about your family. He didn't do that. The only way for him to be able to figure out what's going on the last 20 or so years was for him to speak harshly to them, to betray them like, hey, these are people from out of the country here. We need to be careful. So tell me. And so in that process, uh, in the act, so to speak, that he was putting on, he was finding out even about a brother that he never knew he had from his own mother. 
This is all a part of the plan. As he, we know that in forgiveness, forgiveness leads to reconciliation and restoration. And that's what he's working towards here. I know we think, oh, no way. That, that can't be what Joseph is doing because we can't imagine not being angry, not wanting to let these guys have a piece of our mind, let alone take a piece of their flesh. But there's no fear and forgiveness of that. We give up the right of payback in forgiveness. And some might try to argue that based on our own negative kind of unforgiveness experience that sometimes we have in our own heart and bitterness. We say, well, maybe Joseph wasn't really just angry at them and wanting to, 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 to nail them down on the ground there. Maybe he just got to the point where he just... Not angry, just apathetic. Didn't care. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. There's a point where people get that they say... You know what? I'm not angry at them anymore. I just don't care. Apathy, not anger. Or so they say. Apathy. I don't care, don't care. You know what? They treated me, they, they tried to kill me. They're dead to me. I'm dead to them, they're dead to me. Maybe at one time I was angry and, 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 and bitter, but not anymore. That's so wrong. You still haven't been set free. You've just gone farther, farther, farther into a harder, harder heart. So hard that you don't even notice the bitterness anymore and the anger. We get to the point where we don't feel anger. It doesn't mean we're in a better place. It actually means we're probably in a more bitter place. Uh, it only hardens our heart. Hardens our heart towards those who hurt us at the beginning. But what happens is if we don't do something about it, if we don't forgive, then that poison spreads throughout every relationship we have. A poison of bitterness spreads throughout every relationship because our heart just continues to become harder. It's not, you can't just have a hard heart to people who hurt you. It, it doesn't separate that way. Your heart is hard, Period. And it becomes harder to those that are close to you and those that you love. And the problem is that that person who is struggling with the bitterness is the last person to ever realize how hard their heart is. But the people around them see it, feel it. And they miss out on a family of forgiveness. You know, Joseph decided to do something different. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Instead of cursing them, he blessed them. Joseph, by doing this, had not only forgiven his family, but he rewrote the future of his family in his forgiveness. Now, let's look over in chapter 42. Let's go a little farther over to verse 22. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you as they're there talking to him and all that's going on, trying to get the food? Reuben replies to his brothers, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? It's talking about Joseph. But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. Fear still comes in. We say there's no fear fear and forgiveness and yet the reality is for these brothers fear still hit them not because of something joseph did no one needed to put the fear of god in them you can try to cover up your guilt and your shame for a while but you cannot get rid of it by yourself be sure your sin will find you out 
And they recognized in that moment how bad things had gotten, that what they did to Joseph, it was wrong in the past, and perhaps now they were having to pay. They were reaping what they sowed. That is the law of the universe. You will reap what you sow. This should be the perfect moment then for Joseph. If there is unforgiveness in his heart, if there is bitterness, this would be the perfect moment as they are talking about, see, this has all happened because of what we did to Joseph. This would be the moment for him to say, yes, it is. You're right. You're getting your payback right now. But instead, verse 24, it says, Joseph turned away from them and wept because his heart was not hardened in bitterness, but was softened in forgiveness, a forgiveness that does not seek to have others fear. You know, as he listens to them, he can see the difference in them and all that takes place. A difference that didn't necessarily matter as much as one might think because Joseph himself had already experienced a difference. It's great to hear that his brothers recognized it was wrong. It's great to hear all that. But he didn't gloat in. He didn't say yes. He didn't say... He just... It brought tears to him. Because God had changed his own heart. It brought tears to him because, you see, Joseph was able to stand there over them, so to speak, free. Free from the pain of the past. Free from all that they did to him. Because he forgave them. But there they were unable to be free, still dealing with the effects of what they had done because they had themselves not yet received forgiveness. A forgiveness that makes it so that we don't need to fear. Not just fear payback, but to understand that we're no longer afraid of punishment. Go to Genesis 45. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. You know, this had been going on for days, kind of coming back and forth and everything that was going on. And he gave them um, grain and all those kind of things. And he says, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And so Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. In this moment, after everything they'd gone through, everything that had happened, Joseph could no longer control himself. For some people, that means I can no longer control myself. I'm going to let my wrath fall upon them. But instead of crushing them, he cried for them. He told his brothers who they were. I should have pictured this scene for a moment. Just picture, you know, for some people, finding out that the person in charge who had the power to save your entire family is your brother, well, that brings a sigh of relief and comfort. You know, like in the movies, it would be, ta-da, there'd be one of those ta-da moments, and our hills are alive with the sound, you know. My brother is the one in charge. It's just great. You know, it's just something exciting. Not for these guys. Not for his brothers. They died a little bit. It wasn't something. The fear level went from bad to the worst news ever. The worst news ever is that the only person who can save us is our brother that we tried to kill and sold off. This in the movies is not the ta-da moment. It is the da-da-da, right? That's what it is. Suddenly... You know, it gets quiet, dramatic music. Terrified in his presence, they could not even speak. Because it's payback time, baby. Right? Isn't that the way it goes? You know, it is time for the victim to finally get his vengeance. As Joseph, judge, jury, and executioner. That's the time. You know, in your face, 
He could say to them, just like my dream, because now there you are down on your face, big disgrace. Going to knock your kind all over the It's the moment. That's the time. That's what they're thinking. That, uh, we know that's not what happened, but that's what they're thinking. This is a day of judgment. We just found out this guy is our brother. Punishment is upon us. And if he had still forgive, unforgiveness and bitterness, yeah. I mean, think about it. It's not just that this is their brother and he could pay back the wrong that's been done. This is their brother now who is in a place of authority that has the power to literally crush us to dust. Not just our brother that pays us back. This is a brother. This is the punishment come down. In some ways, if you think about it, there is a role of fathers today in our families. That God has placed you in that position of leadership. Just like God placed Joseph in a position of leadership that had power and authority over others. God has placed you in a place of leadership. And you have a choice. Just like Joseph had a choice. You have a choice to lead by fear or love by faith. We have a choice to let people who do us wrong, who wronged us, to fear our wrath and our punishment, just like Joseph's brothers. Or we can be like Joseph and Jesus who said there is no fear in forgiveness. The fact is getting our day of vengeance is never enough. Getting our day of vengeance is never enough, even if we drag out the punishment. Justice never goes far enough, even if somehow they get theirs and they even die there is still this unsatisfied gnawing in our soul about what they did to us or said to us. And they're no longer even around for us to be able to try to punish them. Punishment only brings temporary satisfaction. It leaves us empty, not fulfilled. The only way to be free from this is through forgiveness that frees them from the fear of punishment. But somebody says, wait, wait, wait. You don't realize how bad it was. The wrong that they have done to me just have have made them out. My family is outright enemies. In fact, I I don't even call them family anymore, what they did to me. They're not even family to me. And when we say that and when it gets so bad and we think, okay, they're not even family to me, then we got this excuse that we can just do whatever we want. Because if they're family, oh man, we got to think about it. But you know what? They had hurt me so bad. They're no longer family. They're dead to me. And so it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't have to love them. I don't have to forgive them. Except Jesus in Luke chapter 6 Verse 27 says this. But I tell you who hear me. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Not the way we think of our families. Oh, our families love us, I'll love them. But, you know, when they're not going to be like family. He goes on in verse 33 again. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. 
And yet, we really want to just go to the natural response. Aha! The boot's on the other foot now. And guess what you're going to get? Or, you killed my father, prepared to die. Something like that, right? That's the natural. But Joseph takes the supernatural response that chooses not to be the bully like his brothers were, but chooses to be the better, even the godly person who himself has experienced God's love in an amazing way through all the bad that's happened in his life. Joseph, instead of bringing the pain down on them, took the pain because that's what forgiveness does. The forgiveness that had already taken, taken place. There's not hate, there is love in his heart because perfect love casts out the fear of punishment. We read on in Genesis here, 45. We were in, uh, stopped at verse 3. But let's read on in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Joseph calls them in close, it says. He calls them in close so he can speak personally but also privately to them. He'd already emptied the room out, right? It already emptied the room. Everybody's gone. But listen, come, come close. Let's speak privately so that no one hears what I'm about to say to you. But if he had in his heart a desire to punish his brothers, if, they, if he had not forgiven them, if he was still throwing a pity party for himself about what they had done, then he would have invited all the Egyptians who were there to just stay to my pity party. Just stay and join me in a passive-aggressive way of punishing my brothers as we publicly let the cat out of the bag about how bad they were to me. You can imagine the scene. You want help? You want help from me after what you did to me? Well, let's just ask the rest of the people around here what they think about you and what I should do about you after what you did to me. And let me just tell them so that they have the full facts. Obviously, we just want to make sure. That's not forgiveness. That's holding it over. That's telling it over and over to other people what someone did to you. That's not forgiveness. You have not fully forgiven someone if you are still doing that. Total forgiveness does not seek the satisfaction even of a backdoor kind of punishment. Instead, as it says, verse, he had everyone leave because there's no fear of forgiveness, including the fear that you're going to tell somebody about what they did. He doesn't sweep it under the rug, though. Don't misunderstand. This is not like, okay, well, it's fine what you did. I don't care. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He acknowledges what he does. It says, verse, he says, I am Joseph who you sold into slavery. I mean, he puts it right out there. I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. But he doesn't hold it over them or air it out in a court of public opinion and what everybody else thinks so that they can get their punishment from other people and claim, well, I didn't say anything. I, I, I don't know why that person has such a bad opinion of you. Uh Forgiven, forgiveness does not allow others to be afraid of you and your reaction or your revenge 
Forgiveness does not hold others hostage in fear, but sets them free so that you can finally be free. That's why it makes it clear in Genesis 45 and and else, other places, he says to these brothers, do not be distressed. Do not be fearful. And, And don't be angry at yourselves for what you did. In fact, a little later he says, don't even quarrel about it. As you're going back, don't be quarreling and punishing one another about it. I'm not punishing you. Don't punish yourself. Don't punish one another. There should be no fear in the forgiveness. In fact, let's together, not just what I'm doing for you, but as you minister or as you walk with one another back home to dad, let's be a family of forgiveness. Those comforting words are not something that are usually used by fathers and mothers who rule the roost with fear, who control others by making them afraid. If you cross me, if you mess up, if you mess with me. So many times, forgiveness is not our first response. Instead, there is a swift response in some other way. And maybe it's not just talking about fathers or parents but other people in our life and our workplace for all that matters let's just talk about each of us as individuals are there people in your family are there people at your workplace are there people even at this church who live in fear of you i don't mean they fall down and dread but they just feel like they're walking on eggshells every time they're around you now some people have no problem with that Some people have no problem with this whole bringing about fear in their family members because that's how I was raised, and it worked for me. How about we put that up for a vote? Because it doesn't usually work that way, especially if you put it up for a vote with the rest of the family members. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? I'm sure there's some of you here today that probably said to your kids at some point, you think I'm bad. You don't know how lucky you are that you didn't have my dad or my mom. You know what? You don't know how lucky you are because they they taught me how to time travel. They sent me into next week. Right? Right? I'm going to send you in the next week, boy. Do we live in fear of doing wrong? Nah. You know what? That's what some people think. Oh, it's, it's all about fear and control. And the problem is it's not about fear of doing wrong. It's about fear of punishment. In fact, it's usually not even about fear of punishment. It's fear of the person. And we can use the excuse that we're just trying to put the fear of God in them, but the reality is we're putting the fear of us, not God. We need to realize that so many times in the Bible when it talks about the fear of God, it is in contrast to the fear of man. An example of that is Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, obviously, many want to just focus on the fact that, oh, God can kill both the soul and body in hell. That's not the point right there. The point is what Jesus was saying was contrasting those. The point is that anyone who is able to fear God should be fearless before man. The point is that we shouldn't be fearing man. Okay, he says, but listen, we got a discipline our, our others in our family, we had a discipline. And, and let's make a distinction here. We're talking about fathers and, and others who are responsible, who are responsible for God to discipline. And let's be clear that some people are fearful, at least to some degree, of, of discipline. But that fear is not a fear of God, really. It's not a fear of dad. Some of those fears are really just a fear of having to deal with the consequences of our own sin. Fearing what we don't want, but what we need. As Hebrews 12, 
11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. But see, that last part, that's what discipline does. Versus punishment. Discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And trains. And just a quick note, there's a difference between discipline and consequences sometimes. There are some who think because, oh, we're supposed to love. And pastor said, you know, it's about love and no fear and forgiveness that I should be able to escape all the consequences of my actions. And that just doesn't happen in this world. We reap what we sow sometimes. But as we think about discipline, a discipline that comes from a heart of love that trains us in love. In fact, the very word discipline in it, 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 the word in discipline is disciple. When we're disciplining, we should be making disciples. Disciplining is about making a disciple. Not making someone so fearful that they just act really good around you and then act however they want any other time. But to train and teach and ultimately lead someone in the way God wants them to go. Not changing their outward behavior, but changing the heart inside. So that when no one is looking, so that when they're older and no one is around that they have to, quote, answer to, they will have learned discipline, disciple. They will have learned right and wrong. They will have learned what is needed. Instead of learning, you know, I just need to stay away from that person. I just need to keep my distance. That's not learning anything. That's not love. That's fear. Discipline draws us closer to God and who He wants us to be. And we thought, well, there's that fear of God. You know what? What's the top priority of Jesus? What does he say should be our top priority? What's the number one command? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. It doesn't take away what he said about fear. But listen, when that becomes your primary thing, that's not Jesus' primary thing. The primary thing, the top thing we're to look at that love and just even reading through first corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7 the quote the love chapter as you read that there is nothing to be afraid of in those words there is nothing of that love that makes you fearful that is the way we are to be with one another and, and let's face it this is not just about how we were raised some of us say well it's just how we raised you know what it's not it's how our society has become. And when I say society, I mean our Christian contemporary evangelicalism. The absence of grace and mercy being expended, extended to others is missing. Even though on days like today, we praise God for the grace and mercy He gives us. We go around on Sundays praising God, grace and mercy. Oh, I'm so grateful for the grace, the mercy, all that I've been given. And yet, for some reason, we're not willing to give grace and mercy to others. To give grace, giving others what they do not deserve. To give mercy, giving others, or not giving others what they do deserve. Mercy is not giving someone the punishment that they deserve. Mercy and grace leads us to that love that has no fear in forgiveness. All right. Somebody's at least got to be thinking and itching. I know the way people work in churches. You know, there's, there's somebody thinking, oh, you know, I, I, you were just saying, I know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, we're, 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 we're to fear God. We read this in John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God is love. There's no fear in love. There should be no fear in forgiveness is what we're talking about. And yet, you still say, well, but, but, but 
what about the verses that talk about fearing God? It's just confusing. You think that's confusing? Look at this one. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Like, what what, what did you just say? Think about it. It says, don't be afraid, but so that you can fear. Ah, I'm not sure I get that. Well, there are a number of things that are happening here. First of all, let's make sure we understand that there are other things today because of Jesus that keep us from sinning. In fact, the number one is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And a new heart as a new creation that we've been given that they were not. There's more to the explanation in Exodus of what's there about not being, but it's about not being fearful of God so that they run away or stay away from Him. I know they stayed away from the mountain, but originally God had called them to. Recognizing the difference between being afraid of God and having a fear of God that respects Him. It comes down to recognizing the difference between God as a judge and God as a father. And yes, He is both, but there should be a difference in our response today because of Jesus. Between those two. And let me just explain it by explain it in a sense from my own life, my own story, how I made a commitment to follow Christ, uh, realizing that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And there's more to this story. I've probably shared it before and will again. But uh, there was uh, the night before I made that decision to follow Christ, to turn my life completely over to Him and find that forgiveness that I've been looking for. That night before, I was up late at night reading Revelation without realizing it because I'd never done that. My family wasn't going to to church or anything. I, I just happened to be the only one that was spiritually interested in things that time. So before I would be going to the service the next day, before I made that commitment to Christ, I was reading Revelation, kind of getting into it. And then I come to the end of the book, which you know is also the end of the Bible. And it kind of hit me. That could be the end of me. I'm not ready. If I were to die tonight, I don't know that I would go to heaven. I mean, at one time I thought I had my ticket in hand because I was good enough until I found out that none of us are good enough. None of us can measure up to what God wants in the perfect, being perfect. And so in that moment, there was a sense that fear there, there was a, not, not an overwhelming fear and fall down and scare and run around. The sky is falling. But there was a sense that fear led me uh, to make that decision to begin with God. Because I did not want God to be my judge. I wanted Him to be my Father. And here's the difference. Since that time, since that time, I have not lived by fear, but by faith in a God who has forgiven me. I am not personally afraid of the wrath of God. Why? 1 John 4.18 I am not personally afraid of the wrath of God because there is no fear in love, but... Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I am not afraid of his punishment because of his love. Please note, I'm not denying that there is a wrath of God, that there is punishment that must be paid for those who do not perfectly in every way do what God has commanded. But I am not afraid of that punishment because Jesus took it on the cross for me. He paid the penalty. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on him the full and complete wrath that was due, not just me, but everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will ever live. He laid all of that punishment on Jesus. 
because I have received the forgiveness, I have entered into a new and vital and personal relationship with Him as my Father who loves me with an everlasting love that I do not need to be afraid of. I do not need to be afraid because Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I know there are some in churches that just want to hit and hammer the fear of God. And there, in a sense, that's the way it began for me, the sense recognizing that and turning to God. But we've got to answer all the rest of these verses, including this one, Romans 8, 1. But even as we think of this one, if all we do is just live in that space, that place where God is our judge, the very last sentence, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we are afraid of God, we will not become perfect. And, and another word imperfect in the, in the Bible, another way to say that is complete. Perfection, mature, complete. That's all the same word. The one who fears is not made mature. The one who fears is not made complete in love that God wants to do. To change our relationship from a judge to a father. That doesn't mean he's no longer. It just means that the judge is my father. Please don't misunderstand. It's my story. And unfortunately, there are those who do not have that story with God who should be afraid. As much as we talk about God as love, and I mean, even... Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, famous one, that even people who never been to church even have heard some of these kind of things. In John uh, three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He what gave His one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, God loves the world. That's the way we should... It's just God loves the world, but you've got to keep reading. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So there are some that should be afraid. But it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Afraid of God, a judge that says that we stand condemned because we do not believe in Him. Instead, we can change that relationship as we turn our lives to Him, as we receive that forgiveness that He offers us and become a part of His forever family. And He becomes our Father. This is the forgiveness that Joseph's brothers needed and were given. This is the forgiveness that we need to give to one another. To no longer have in our relationship a fear between us because of something that's done or said, but mercy and grace is abundant. No longer looking for payback, no longer looking for punishment, Instead, looking to pass on the same love and forgiveness that we ourselves have received from a perfect heavenly Father with all His grace and all His mercy. So that not only my life can be transformed, but my family can be transformed into a family of forgiveness that does not need to fear, but instead can just live in the river, the river of mercy and grace with one another. The river that all of us as a family of God should be living in with one another. There shouldn't be that sense that anyone is feeling from you. That I, I just don't know if I, I, I feel like something's wrong. I just can't go around that person. I can't go. I can't talk to them. I can't. At one time we were we were close, but now I kind of feel like they're more my 
judge than my family member. That may not even be true. But we need to go. We need to make things right. And to allow a forgiveness to flow. Make us into that family of forgiveness that He wants. Why? Because of the love of God that we've all experienced. The love of God that Joseph experienced. It's like, yeah, he did all that, but you know what? God had His hand in all of this. He brought about something miraculous and wonderful. God had brought something miraculous and wonderful in my life, and I want to make sure that others know that, not just in their head because I'm saying the gospel to them, but because I'm showing the gospel. I'm living the gospel of forgiveness where others do not have to fear. Worship team, would you come? Fathers, we pray, we just ask that you would help us. As we struggle with this, we, sometimes we struggle receiving that forgiveness. But we also struggle giving it in the way that you mean for it to be. Lord, we, we say we've forgiven someone and yet we go around and talk about what they did to others. We don't necessarily pay them back right to their face, but in other ways. We still hold on to the pain. I pray that you'd help us to totally forgive, to let go. And to make that choice to never bring it up again before them, before others. Lord, we forgive because of what you've done. Because you, Father, have separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. You, Father have buried our sins in the depth of the sea. Surely that is what you expect of us. Help us in this. Even as we sing this song, may we be overwhelmed by how much you love us. May you break any hardened heart even now and allow your love to flow freely once again and forgiveness to be poured out. Thank you for what you're going to do, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your great love.